if you want to get in shape or change your life in some way, you're probably going to want to find some sort of coach, some sort of trainer, someone who can help you. And you're going to want to communicate your goals with them so they can help you reach them. What if that is the worst idea possible? Uh, we're going to dive into that on today's episode of the Movement Movement, the podcast for people who want to know the truth about what it takes to have a happy, healthy, strong body. Usually we talk about things starting feet first because, you know, those things are your foundation. But you're thinking what your goals are is really kind of a foundation there as well. So we'll be diving into that. This is also the podcast where we break down the propaganda, the mythology, and sometimes, frankly, the outright lies you've been told about what it takes to run, walk, hike, lift, uh, pretty much do whatever you want to do and do it enjoyably and effectively and efficiently. And did I mention enjoyably? Trick question. Um, I know I did because look, it's the most important thing. If you're not having fun, do something different till you are. Otherwise, you're not going to keep it up anyway. Uh, I'm Stephen Sashin from ZeroShoes.com, the host of the Movement Movement podcast. And we call it that because we're creating, and by we, I mean all of us, um, creating a movement about natural movement, letting your body do what it's made to do and how that can be beneficial. Uh, and the movement part that involves you is really simple. Go to www.jointhemovementmovement.com. Don't be put off by that. There's nothing to join. There's no secret handshake. There's no money involved. Just means that that's where you'll find the previous episodes, the different ways you can engage with us on all the social platforms, all the places you can find the podcast. And wherever you go, just you know, give us a thumbs up or like or comment or um hit the bell icon on YouTube. You know the drill. If you want to be part of the tribe, please subscribe and let's see if we can help more and more people in the world live life feet first. Okay. So let us jump in. Um, Griffin, do me a favor. Tell people who you are and what you're doing here. Yeah, sure thing. So my name is Griffin Coombs, born and raised in the Boston area. I am now actually living in Tangier, Morocco, where I coach movement, breathing, and I do wellness consults. So I'm, you know, kind of a traditionally trained fitness coach, but I've I've moved into more biomechanics, quality of movement, movement for expression, um, got into coaching for coaching breathing for performance and for health. And now moving, I'm very I'm still very much a student of kind of integrative health and well-being, but I do do consults in that area as well. I have a professional and academic background of over a decade, almost a decade and a half. Jeez, no time flies of uh, of K twelve education. So I'm a, wait till you start saying things like when I was a kid forty years ago. Jeez, uh, so having just turned six, <laughs> that you know the time uh, spews in really crazy ways. Yeah, I'm. Um, I mean, I'm only you know I'm in my thirties, but I'm starting to feel it. Life looks like a lot different than it did in my twenties. So I'm. I'm looking forward to the journey. It's a good um, one. But yeah, my my academic background and full time professional background for for many many years, and I'm still involved, is in uh, K twelve education. So I've been a teacher of the performing arts and a school administrator as well. So I, I very much approach coaching as a teacher or an educator would. So you kind of, yeah, you mix all that together and here I am. Well, let's start with the most, uh, I was going to say most interesting thing you said, but that's not true. But let me start with the thing that you led with, which is very interesting. Morocco, how'd that happen? Yeah, that happened through the uh, the teaching and the education stuff. So I was teaching in public schools in the Boston area. And I had always had an interest in living abroad, learning a new culture and kind of immersing myself in, in a language and a different way of being. And I found out about international schools, American schools abroad. Um, and so I went on the hunt. And long story short, I landed in Tangier about five years ago. Oh, my gosh. How splendid. What's the most surprising thing you've discovered from being there? 
God, I can't. Well, it's been almost five and a half years, so I can't remember what was surprising. But there are still still things that stand out as I don't know if I'll ever get used to. You know, it's not a very it's not a very punctual culture, and I don't mean that in an insulting way. I mean that in a very it's just a very different way. Like time is very much a suggestion, and we're you know coming from the Northeast in America, and you're you're I know you're familiar with this. Uh, this paradigm of just like every minute, you know, you have a meeting. Well, it's, uh, it's okay. It's three forty-one, So I have four minutes to get a bite to eat to my next meeting. And it's just so not like that here. I was in Nepal back in, uh, well here back in 89. Um, I was in Nepal and I remember uh, talking to a guy and he says, um, well, you know, we can get together around one. I said, so one o'clock for real or one o'clock Nepali time. Exactly. And, and, and Nepali time means one o'clock could on Tuesday could be Thursday. So <laughs> I just remember this one. I went to this is back when uh, there was not really much phone service, certainly no cell phone service. And they wanted you to confirm any flights that were leaving Nepal, like, you know, four or five days in advance. So I go to the Royal Air Nepal office and I said, I'm here to confirm my Tuesday flight. They said, uh, yeah, your Tuesday flight is on Friday. Uh, <laughs> I said, uh, why? Because we move it to Friday. <laughs> <laughs> yep, it's a very similar year. I've never been in Nepal, but it just sounds yeah. It echoes of, of Tangier. It's like you know, we uh, I, I would like the uh, Spanish tortilla, please, and they'll say uh, we don't have any more. Oh, okay, why not? We we just don't. <laughs> Now, hold on. Here's my, okay. favorite, my favorite version of that is actually from Chinatown in New York. Um, there's a, a whole area that's just nothing but electrical stuff, lighting and whatnot. And I go in and I said, hey, I'm looking. I like this light. Um, how much is it? And the guy says, well, do you want a regular canadabra? I went, no, sorry, wait, what? He says, regular canadabra. And it took a, like five minutes of that till I got, okay, regular or candelabra. And by the way, for anyone, pardon my you know impression of this guy. Um, so I figured out, okay, regular candelabra. I, said, I, don't, I don't know. What's the difference? Uh, one is uh, bigger, more expensive. Uh, one is more or less expensive. I said, okay, which? <laughs> he said, well, uh, this one, uh, it, a bulb is uh, bigger, uh, lasted longer, cost less. I went, well, okay, that's a, a regular one. I said, okay, well, I want that one then. He goes, yeah, we don't have that one. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I'm laughing so hard at these because it's just so it so echoes the life here. But it's a it, you know it's a beautiful it's a beautiful life too when you learn to yeah. kind of let go and it's a Zen teacher in and of itself. This lifestyle, you know, I love when you go somewhere and you finally get the hint that the way they're living makes total logical sense in a certain, in a, in a worldview context, completely different than what you're doing. And once you drop the American version, once you recognize, Hey, that works here and get on board with it, it it's, it changes everything. Absolutely. hundred percent. Sorry. Got another flashback. We were in India about 15 years ago for a friend's wedding. Um, and, uh, uh, we were staying in a neighborhood where there really weren't any tourists. So there wasn't the same sort of begging scene, but there was definitely some kids who were, you know, hit us up for money. And I said to them on the first day, I said, look, um, and these guys, first of all, they lived in what we would think of as a shack, but this was their home. They did not express any ill will, resentment or problems with it. It's like that was their home. And anyway, I said to these guys, these kids, look, if you're going to, uh, I'm going to be here for about a week. If you're going to see me almost every day, because you know where I'm going, you know where I know where you are. If you're going to ask me for money, I want to be very clear. You're not going to get any money. But if you want to go somewhere and do something, I'm your guy. <laughs> and so then we just went and explored the city and every now and then I buy the lunch. So it was uh, it was a blast. I should use that here more often. It's, My goodness. It's, it's, it's been five years and I still haven't. 
Um, I, I definitely recommend, um, I was thinking of this, even I do this in weird places. I was just in Park City, Utah, and I do the same kind of thing there. It's like, I'll walk up to a stranger and just say, you know, where should I go? They're like, what do you want to do? Mm. Like, well, you tell me, I'll just go wherever you tell me. And um, it leads to some entertaining things. Anyway. Yeah. So well, it, I, I was just going to say, no, I was just going to say that it, just thinking back to the the movement stuff um, and you asked me what's surprising here, that was actually a big surprise as well, was that here it's very much a culture, a fitness culture of kind of 1980s bodybuilding. And oh. so you, if you imagine that the, the kind of exposure and the paradigm and the zeitgeist, if you will, around movement and fitness here in Tangier is decades behind where America is or what America is thinking about right now. So it's kind of like ideas like CrossFit and cross training in general are kind of like hugely progressive brand new things where you're just starting to see it pop up. Uh, and so it, that's been a real challenge because here you know, I have, um, I have online clients and I also have clients in person here, but it's really difficult when you get past the language barrier, it's extra difficult to communicate the nuances of kind of where, not just where the thinking is and what I'm prescribing to a client, but how we arrive to that thinking in the first place, because, you know, we've, and I'm sure you've been here too. We've been through the bodybuilding paradigm, the CrossFit paradigm, you know, it's taken a journey experiencing all of those to kind of get to where my philosophy and my approach are right now. And so you can't just go up to somebody and say, uh, okay, so you want to, you want to train with me. Um, okay. We're not going to do any barbell lifting or whatever. And they're like, well, what do you, what do you mean? We're not going to do any barbell lifting. I'm like, well, do you have three hours? So you want to go get a coffee and I'll explain why. So it just like the communication piece about it is, is you're set even farther back when you're dealing with these kind of cultural walls. Was there some, evol and by the way, anyone who can see me on screen knows that I'm still a competitive bodybuilder. Um, no, uh, <laughs> um, uh, it's funny. I actually have a couple of friends who are still competing and it's a crazy, crazy lifestyle, but it, was there something that led to that, that you're aware of? I mean, was there, I can't remember, was there some, some pro bodybuilder coming out of Morocco that inspired everyone? Or is it just that now, now there's a little extra time slash income and that's where people have gone because that's what's available. That's a really good question. I can't say for sure, but I'm imagining that the access to technology and the access to kind of what's the rest of the world doing, it started in Morocco when bodybuilding was still very much a big thing. And so the other thing about bodybuilding is that it's a, it's a sport that is based on aesthetics. And so if you want to look a certain way, and you're not, you don't have access to all the performance based resources, but you know that there's a picture of Arnold back in the eighties hanging on your wall and you know that that's how I want to look and that's how you're going to train. Got it. Well, so that brings us to the thing that I teased with is that people come into pretty much almost any endeavor, but fitness in particular with the, with certain ideas about what they want to achieve. And after often, um, some failures at making that happen, get the idea that they need to find some sort of coach, some sort of trainer, and they walk in and say, here's what I want to do. And the thing that I tease is maybe that's the worst idea ever. And now I tease that because of a conversation you and I had for moments before we started this. So do you want to chat about this phenomenon of 
goals, goal setting, um, people uh, on, and people on both sides of that equation, the people who have these goals and the people who are hired to help those people attain those. Yeah. So yeah, we start with the people who have the goals. I think that we're just, and again, it comes from when fitness first burst on the scene as something that people do recreationally, it was very much the paradigm was kind of cardio and, or aerobic training and bodybuilding for muscular strength. And so we have conditioned as a society over decades to believe, to equate strength training with bodybuilding. And it's expanded a bit as of late, like CrossFit is a familiar, that was a huge phenomenon that kind of built community around the performance aspect of fitness. And, you know, how can I get one more rep than I got last time? And I got my CrossFit buddies cheering me on as they lie in a pool of their own sweats and whatever. But it's so deep rooted that, you know, the first paradigm is still deep seated in us where, well, I need to you know, I need to do some aerobic training to lose weight. And then I need to tone up my muscles by doing these lifts. And it's, it's not just what I need to do, but it's also how I do it. So I think about, I need, I want to work this muscle rather than I want to be stronger at this movement. Mm. And so I think that people's goals, the way that they set their goals is limited to weight loss, which muscles they want to build or kind of tone up more. And then again, then you have the outliers who are a bit more progressive who are, but I still think we can talk about that separately, but there are goals that are related to performance, but I still don't necessarily think that you actually want that performance goal. You want it because it's the cool thing or it was the cool thing. And you aren't really familiar with another way of measuring, let's say strength or power or speed or whatever, but back to the, just kind of the, I want to lose weight or I want to build muscle people. We, we know now that there's a fluctuation of healthy weight and that if the weight that you want to lose is what would be called subcutaneous fat, the fat right under the skin versus visceral fat, which is the stuff that's around the organs is much more detrimental to your health. Like I think a weight loss goal is a noble goal if you have 50 pounds to lose and you're obese and you, you're totally sedentary. Uh, but if you come to me and you say, okay, I want to lose 10 pounds and you're generally active and healthy, then that's where the pushback starts to happen. And I'll say something like, why do you want to lose? Why do you want to lose 10 pounds? Right. And a lot of, you know, people, a common response is, well, because people are very, they're quick to pick up on why you're asking these questions and they don't want to sound vain. And, and we're all vain to some degree. I'm not judging anybody. Oh no! Wanting so, to look what's, what's so funny? Um, I am uh, somewhat well known for having no secrets, or another way of putting that is, I've the wire between my brain and my mouth is really short, and so if you ask me that question, I'd say, well, I got two reasons. One, uh, three. One is that I would like to have a better strength to weight ratio for sprinting. The second is that I would like to. Um, have less to complain about when I look in the mirror. And the third is that I would like my wife to go, ooh, more often. Um, and I have no problem admitting the vanity part of it. <laughs> exactly. And it's gonna that's going to be part of it, I think, for everybody. And yeah. so, like, I, I definitely, I don't want the vanity to be at the forefront of my client's goals. But I also, I'm so glad you said that because I want them to be able to shamelessly admit 
the vanity part of it, the percentage of it that we all have. So I'm certainly not trying to discount that piece of wanting to lose 10 pounds. And people will kind of try to dance around it and they'll say something like, well, years ago when I weigh, you know, I'm 160 pounds now. When I weighed 150 pounds, that was when I liked the way I looked. And if they're afraid of the vanity thing, they'll say that's that's when I liked the way I felt. And then I'll say, okay, well, let's say... That's hysterical. It's, it's true. And it's fine because that's also true. They're not lying. They're just framing it differently. And so, so then I'll say, okay, let's say that we lost that 10 pounds and you're down to 150, but you look in the mirror and you don't look like you did 10 years ago when you were that weight. Or let's say your body composition is different. You're, you're at the weight, but your muscle to fat ratio is different. Uh, or you don't feel the same. Maybe you don't have as much energy for one reason or another. Do you still think that's a good goal? Do you still want to lose the 10 pounds? And they'll say, well, no, not really. I'll say, okay, so let me ask you this. Is 10 pounds of weight loss really your goal? Mm. The answer is no, right? The, the goal is to look a certain way and to feel a certain way. And so it's like, would it be reasonable to say that your goal is to increase your energy or to improve your body composition uh, and if you want to get into specifics of that, you know, I, I don't, I don't use high tech tracking equipment. I don't measure body composition in a typical client, but I do think that a goal doesn't necessarily have to be super specific, it should be somewhat specific, but I think that I'm like a reasonable goal is to say, I want higher energy levels and you can track that, right? You can, you can track your subjective experience daily and look at it over time and say a month later, okay, typically my energy is a lot higher than it was a month ago. And so it's just, for me, it's just about reframing the why behind it, because that's, that's where you always take somebody back to when it comes to behavior change, yeah. when, when it comes to coaching in general. And so you want to make sure you know what that is. This is there's so much to unpack in this. Um, one is I love the idea, even with something like daily energy of however you're tracking that daily, because that's one of those things where I talked to somebody about this just the other day in a different context where I said, you know, you want to pay attention on an ongoing basis because at a certain point, the change will have occurred, but it happened so gradually you didn't notice unless you have something to look back at and go, oh, crap, I didn't realize that I made that kind of progress. So yeah. that's a very interesting opportunity that people, most people don't avail themselves of. Yeah. And, it be, you know, the new, it can become your quote unquote new normal. Yeah. And you, and you don't even realize you take it for granted. And you yeah. can, I've actually been in this position and I've had, I've had clients in the same position where you actually don't perceive the change at all. And you think you're still exactly where you were three right. months ago, six months ago, just because you have no reference point to compare it to. Yeah, that's a really interesting one. There's a thing that I've done with people in other contexts, it's the same idea and the, of what you just described. And I want to um, kind of break it down into the world's easiest technique, if you will, which is, um, and I just ask the question, and why do you want that? And I just keep asking that yeah. same question over and over and over until people get to something that's so essential, they just can't find another thing. And to your point, you know, it so often has nothing to do with the thing they walked in with. And often the thing that they say they want is the least effective way of getting to what they actually want. And, you know, yes. and there's, and there's one, you know, even the vanity thing is kind of funny because there's a lot of it that I've discovered. I don't know if you've seen the same where what people are looking for, what they want 
is I'm trying to think of how to describe this. They think there's something wrong with them because of whatever the current situation is. Um, but when you really dive in and you find out what they're really looking for, you simultaneously discover that the seeming problem they have is just a feature of being human, not a problem that they think is a personal problem of theirs. So, um, so something I'm trying to think of my favorite example. Um, Oh, man. Oh, I know. It was someone I was taking a walk with, uh, this young woman, and I was a young person at the time, so it sounded creepy when I said it the first way, but we were both young people. <laughs> Let's do it that way. So, judge. <laughs> other people might. So um, we're taking a walk, and she says, you know, I'm just trying to listen to my body so I know what to eat. And I literally fell on the ground laughing. I said, well, I can tell you what your body wants you to eat. She says, oh, what? I said, French fries and ice cream, chocolate cake, if you can get it. It's like you want calories and you want things that taste good. That's what your body is looking for. But you have this idea that if you could do this thing called listening to your body, and I have no idea what the hell that means, that it would direct you to eat certain foods that would then result in you having a different body that you would then be happy with. And she said, well, yeah. I said, yeah, here's the problem. You won't find a human being on the planet who's happy with their body. You can find the best bodies in the world. And I guarantee they're more obsessed about it than you are because humans, we never evolved to look at a glass of water and go, hey, there's bacteria in there that if I drink this, mm -hmm. uh, it's going to screw me up. We evolved to pay exquisite attention to everything going wrong inside of us because that was the only doctor we had. And now everything's pretty much safe. So we just take that same thinking and apply it to what we see when we look in the mirror. Hmm. Now that's an interesting thought. Yeah. It's just, so your dislike of the way you look, this is called human 101. It's what got us here. So you're not. Yeah. Gonna... I haven't thought of it that way, yeah. but it does make some sense. Uh, so let me just make sure that I'm getting, I'm assimilating this correctly. So our paying attention of what might be wrong within us to kind of regulate our health and make sure we don't die is yeah. being applied now to what we see in the mirror because yeah. that's now what we're looking at all the time. Yeah. I mean, the, the short form is there's so many things that we take as a personal and b proof that there's something wrong that if we go around and ask everybody on the planet, they'd have the same thing, which means it's proof that we're just a functioning human. And if you have that, then it's not as big of a deal. Yeah. So I, I would agree that to have a sense of self-consciousness is certainly healthy uh, because that's, yeah, I agree. That's part of being human. The other side of it is, of course, the sort of social conditioning around, you know, Hollywood and everything that we're told that we should be. And that's a whole other discussion. And I know that million people have had it. We all are kind of aware of it. Social media exacerbates it in a lot of ways. Yeah. So we have to be aware of that too. And so the, you know, when people want to lose weight, and again, I just want to stress the difference between somebody who needs to lose weight for to be healthier versus somebody aesthetics. whose weight loss is purely aesthetic. If you are hung up on a weight loss goal, when you are generally active and healthy and fit, and you want to get like, I want to get to under 10% body fat, and it's like the goal has, it has nothing to do with your physical body. It has to do probably with acceptance, with a feeling of self-worth. And so this, I'm also a lifelong student, forever student of human psychology and human behavior. And, you know, some 
I don't know, dancing on the edge of esoteric spiritual linking to all this stuff. Just just the the wellness of the entire human, including your thoughts, your feelings and everything that comes with it. And so it's very much connected to your physical goals. And so it's even connected to a performance goal. You know, if you're kind of obsessing over a performance goal, it's like, well, why do I want to be the best at this? At the end of the day, it doesn't mean we're going to throw your goal in the trash and say, I'm not working with you. This is a stupid goal, but it's, we're always trying to at least get them to acknowledge why their goal is framed that way. And if they're not going to get rid of their goal to at least uh, understand its context and kind of supplement it with the underlying stuff behind the goal. So it's just, it's no longer about the 10 pounds. Like if you really want the 10 pounds, maybe we can do the 10 pounds, but it's also, can you acknowledge that the 10 pounds is not just about the number? Right. Your obsession with the number is something more psychological. And then the stuff behind the number, like the way that you felt and the way that you looked actually might have nothing to do with the number. I love it. This is, I can only imagine that every now and then you get a client who, as you walk them through this goes, yeah, I got to go somewhere else. Oh yeah. (laughs) And, and I, I totally encourage it because (laughs) the other side the what did you say at the beginning or near the beginning? Well, essentially, so, if we have these goals. We're going to go find someone, and the question is, it. like, what has to talk about the the person looking for the goals and the person seemingly attempting to help facilitate that? Or I said it something like that. Yeah, yeah, exa- that's exactly it. Thank you for bringing me back there. So there's, of course, what we're conditioned as people who do fitness, who engage in fitness, of what we're supposed to do. But then there's the the mainstream personal training, which basically says your job is to help clients meet their goals. And I mean, I remember when I was doing my certification, it was like, they're encouraging us to always hearken back to, you know, to motivate a client like, Hey, you want to lose, you want to be able to fit into that uh, red dress for your friend's wedding. Like just picture yourself in that red dress. And I think that, okay, if you've got a short-term goal like that, again, Let's not necessarily throw it at the window, but we got to acknowledge it and we have to acknowledge its context. And there's nothing in mainstream personal training that I'm aware of that teaches a trainer how to get to the root of a client's goal. Well, you know, interesting thing. I have a friend who's a big deal psychologist. He's written, I don't know, 30 books or something. And I asked him one day, when you're when there's something you want to teach or you're writing a book, do you frame it from the context of what they need to know or hear or what they want to know or hear? And he says, because they're often very different things as we're describing. And he says, oh, I frame it from the what they want to hear. And then I try to pull the rug out from underneath them before they realize that's what happened. And that's what we're talking about. It's like the, the elegance of rug pulling um, so that people can get to something more uh, you know, more essential and potentially more valuable without losing them along the way, because it's like, uh, no, I gotta, I gotta get my pecs to be an inch bigger. Exactly. I love the elegance of rug pulling. That's the, if I ever write a book, that's the title. I'll credit you. Don't worry. You know, that's really interesting because there, I, I mean, I'm kind of a hard headed guy and I've learned how to not be such. And I'm sure you as someone who's a contrarian in the fitness industry as what? well with what? shoes and, you know, what? I mean, 
Look, the, no, wait, the, the on, amount... wait, wait, I got to address that. I'm only contrarian because people have forgotten that the modern athletic shoe is the contrarian position. I'm actually just doing what humans have been doing for 40,000 years. The contrarian position is what people are wearing, but I've put, it's flipped upside down, which is so insane to me that I'm seen as the contrarian. I agree. I know. I you. agree. I I mean, yeah, I've been, I've been a barefoot athlete for I don't know, over, over a decade. Um, and I'm in total agreement. And that's when people are talking about, how do you do that without arch support? You know, the arch support thing is that, I mean, you've been through all of this, I know. Uh, but just, it's, it's hard not to, it's hard to approach it. Um, meeting somebody where they're at, especially when you've had the conversation so many times. And so it takes, it takes a, a lot of patience. It takes, uh, practicing the skill of talking to people of that elegant rug pulling. It's exactly what it is because I want to dismiss a goal sometimes, especially if I'm in a mood and I've had a busy day and it's a, you, you know, you get a client who's just like, okay, I want to, whatever, we'll use the 10 pounds thing or even five pounds, or I want to just lose this little, this little pooch here. I just want to kind of tone it up. I'm just like, Oh my God, just, just focus on your health and, you know, and, and I'm like, no, there's a, I got to meet him where they're at. There's a former competitive pro bodybuilder who I follow online, who is pretty much consistently around eight to 9% body fat. And he did an amazing uh, uh, YouTube episode once or YouTube video once where he said, if you are a guy, your goal should be to be somewhere around 15% body fat. You can maintain that effortlessly. You'll look fine. No one's going to notice it in either direction. And that's where you should be. And, uh, and now he's, he's still a, he's not a competitive bodybuilder, but the guy's like a competitive cyclist. I mean, he's burning calories like there's no tomorrow. Um, and he's just been in the habit of eating and working out in a way that allows him to maintain that eight to 9% for, you know, 20 years. It's a whole different game. And he's also, you know, taking a little tiny amount of testosterone. But um, I know some guys who are my age and beyond who are juicing like there's no tomorrow and mm-hmm. they think that their world's going to end if they're not at 7% body fat. It's exactly it's wild. And so you've got these now imagine people who are not competitive or never were competitive and they just believe that they need to be under 10% body fat just to be accepted by, by whomever. Well, this goes back to something else you said that I find really interesting about what you're experiencing in Morocco, but it made me think uh, of um, CrossFit as well. And just a general thing of this whole competitive aspect, whether it's just you and you're competing against who you are now versus who you think you want to be versus things that are literally built to bring out some competitive part of our nature. Like when I went to a CrossFit gym and they had me do a workout and they're you know, yelling and screaming, I said, yeah, that yelling and screaming does not do anything to me because there's not a real competition. So I can't do fake competitive. And even if I was in a real competition with somebody sitting next to me, I don't really give a crap who that guy is. Because we're, I mean, like the CrossFit games, there's no way I would have any interest in that because the way you win is you got to be about 510 to 61 and weigh about 195. And because otherwise we like the same amount on the bar. You know, I've got to deadlift the same 300 pounds you do, but I'm five, four and a half, 145. And I can do it, yeah. but it's not the same thing. So I don't care. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I know. I, I, I feel that. And I feel, you know, CrossFit, like I think I mentioned earlier, CrossFit did a great thing in that it was kind of one of the first systems to ever build community, real community around fitness. And I think there's a huge value in that. 
But you mentioned a second ago, uh, competing as who you are now, trying to trying to be who you want to be. And so then you have to ask yourself, if you're if you're an average Joe and you are doing CrossFit wads every single day, is that who you want to be? I mean, do you if you picture your perfect life, do you want to be somebody and that's your workout? every day? Or are you doing that because someone told you that high intensity interval training coupled with Olympic lifting and power lifting and gymnastics and running and swimming and rowing all together, that makes you fit. And I, if I don't do that, then I'm not going to be the fittest I can be. It's a great and question. That's the narrative you're telling yourself. No, no, I it's, don't know. it's a brilliant question that I want to, I want to reiterate just because I love it so much. It's like, are you doing this because that's the way you like to do things or are you doing it to get to some goal that when you get there, you're probably not going to be satisfied. And then what? And this is like backing up to you know my opening line of like, if you're not having fun, do something different until you are. It's if you find it really enjoyable, knock yourself out, keeping in mind that at a certain point, you won't be doing those same lifts and hitting those same numbers because things start going downhill and uh, people don't like to deal with that. And I, I, I just last week, I, I had dinner with a guy who's sitting next to me um, who is a former competitive bodybuilder. And I said, so, you know, what do you notice now that you're in your forties? He goes, the legs go, man, there's nothing you can do about it. The legs go. And you know, that's like, and he was simultaneously fully accepting of it, but also like, damn it. And it's something I've seen too. You see it with runners. It's like, you know, at a certain age, for whatever reason, we lose muscle mass in our legs faster than anywhere else. It's mm-hmm. crazy and annoying as shit, but it's just the way it is. I mean, something you know, to look forward to. <laughs> well, I was, I was at the, uh, uh, the senior games when I had just turned 50 and there was a bunch of 60 year olds that I was hanging out with. And they said, you know, if you look at the times for the all American times for, uh, the, for the hundred meters or the 50 meters or 60 meters, you see that once you get to 60, they start falling off a cliff. I mean, once you get to 60, your speed drops like a rock and there's a couple 80 year olds standing behind them. And they went, you guys have no idea what you're talking about. Just wait. <laughs> 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 and then you've got the few centenarians, the hundred year olds who are still like plugging away. Well, there was a, there was a guy who actually just set the world record in the hundred meters for hundred year old plus. And it was some like crazy number. I mean, I'm making it up like 40 seconds. I mean, it's something really that you look at and go, you got to be able to do it faster than that. It's like, yeah, no, not really. Um, so, I mean, my goal as a sprinter, cause I really do like it and do hope I get to keep doing it for my whole life is I just want to keep hitting the all American times. I don't care that they keep getting massively slower. If I can just, you know, hit those times, that'll make me really happy. I don't need to hit the time from someone 10 years younger than me or 20 years younger than me. As long as I'm, you know, in that range that I, I that's enjoyable, but the competition thing, I'm coming back to this. I, this is really interesting about, I guess the way I'm wondering it is we don't have normal daily outlets for what seems to be for many people, probably not everybody, some competitive urge. And if we're not doing it in say CrossFit or some sport, then I imagine this is partly what we're talking about all along is that it becomes an internal, an internal competition, which my God sounds like a horrible, horrible thing. Yeah. Wow. You just gave me another thing to think about in a different way. You're two for two. That's uh yeah. So, so, no, no, again, now and let me let me reframe and process this because this is this is very, very interesting. So when we lack competition in a traditional sense, we have to find it somewhere. And so we bring it inside of ourselves. So in other words, it's kind of like our by being a fan of a sports team. You know, when people say okay, yes. you won, 
where we lost. It's like you weren't on the field. <laughs> you didn't do anything, man. Yeah, you, you just watched. drank beer and watched. So I'm not yeah. sure how contributed to either winning or losing. Yeah. So, I mean, I think that's plausible. I do because I, I think there are fewer outlets for, for people to actively compete. And I think we're just, and this might be getting too broad or too kind of philosophical, but I do think that we are just becoming less actively participatory in most things. Yeah. Uh, and so, yeah, we're just, we're kind of passively consuming more and not doing, and there, yeah, there's a void there that could very well be like the, your, your need to do something like CrossFit, even if it's not totally aligned with who you are, what you want, that might very well be a manifestation of some void competition. I, I have the idea that it also relates to the um, growth of certain I don't want to call them sports, but I can't. I mean, sports are activities. These in particular, um, adults playing kickball, adults playing dodgeball, and the fastest growing sport in America, especially for older people, pickleball, which is basically, you know, big table tennis. And these are things that you can, you can get, you can have fun, you can get kind of good at, there's a competitive thing, but they're not really, you know, massively challenging. No. And so your life doesn't have to be built around it if you don't want it to be. You know, if you want to, if you want to compete against the people at your CrossFit gym and sorry, CrossFit, where I don't, we don't mean to demonize you. It's just a really great example. But if you're, if you're trying to compete against somebody there, like you got to show up daily and you got to do grueling workouts to get better. Whereas you don't need to do that if you're on an adult kickball team or whatever. And so I, I just love, listen to several episodes of your podcast and I, I just love the intro about keeping it enjoyable because that is, so oftentimes if I'm not training uh, people, I love to do wellness consults and that works better for people. And it's something, I, I mean, I could just sit and talk to somebody about well-being and fitness for hours and hours. I'm like, you pay me for this? This is amazing. So awesome. if they're looking for a an exercise regimen, um, then I'll always tell them you've got to start with something that you enjoy. You just, just start there and then we'll fill in the gaps. Like whatever your thing, whatever, you know, aspect of uh, fitness, your thing addresses. Great. We'll check that off. And then anything that it doesn't, we'll fill in the gaps there with kind of the stuff you need to, to round out your training. But let's not go the other way around. Let's not go, oh, well, I, I need to do strength training and then I need to do cardio and I need to blah, blah, blah. And then maybe if there's time, I'll do, you know, the dance class that I love or the or I'll swim or whatever it is. It's got to be the other way around because it's that's the thing you're going to stick with. That's the compass you're going to come back to. And, and it may be that there's a... Um how do I want to call it a secondary, not motivation, secondary inspiration. That is the thing that's fun. It may be like you mentioned uh, repeatedly about CrossFit. It may be the community aspect, maybe the social aspect. Um, um, As a sprinter, I have a couple of training partners and it's not uncommon that on any given day, one of us will say, I'm so glad that you called me to remind me to do this because otherwise I was going to just sit on the couch. And the social thing is hugely important um, you know, these are some of my closest friends that I would only see on the track. And I mean, some of them we mm. socialize with otherwise, but the, but the social component, I, 
sorry, this is like flashback city today. Um, when I was in high school, I was a gymnast and we were doing a lot of weightlifting for gymnastics. And a friend of mine and I started writing a book about getting in shape. And the first chapter was find a partner, find someone that you want to hang out with because this stuff's a pain in the ass. It's not going to be fun often. And you need someone Absolutely. to fun hanging out with. Yeah. I'm a lifelong martial artist and I was training in a place in Boston. We were training in, uh, Krav Maga in close combat. And we were years and years at this same place and moved up the ranks. And we're, we're very, we, the camaraderie you build with when you go through grueling training with somebody is yeah, it's second to none. And then you may socialize with them in other contexts, but when you have this thing, that's kind of part of your foundation of your friendship yeah. uh, or your bond, it's, it's very, very special. And then that's where healthy competition comes in because those, you know, it wasn't about when we, even when we were hard sparring, we weren't trying to kill each other, but we were sparring hard. I mean, we, we, you know, we, we went at it and it was often, you know, I want, it's like that iron sharpens iron saying where it's, I want you to be better for you, but I also want you to be better because you being better is going to make me better. It's going to challenge me more. And it's just this cycle of encouraging yourself through the other and the other through yourself and just getting better and better and better. And I'll tell you, you know, I've, my heart rate can be the same doing a couple rounds on the heavy bag or having a sparring session with somebody. And it feels like nothing compared to if I'm doing, you know, a conditioning workout that I'm not enjoying same heart rate. And I just feel like I'm dying. And yeah, so, so, you know, if you're doing something that you love and it's either you're competing or you're trying to solve a problem, if you are, if you are totally mentally engaged, you're approaching, you know, what psychologists call flow state that also, I mean, the, the rate of perceived exertion is just insanely different. Yeah. I also, I practice uh, animal flow uh, mm-hmm. and teach that, which is a, you know, ground-based movement system. Very, very fun. And the challenge, the the challenge on the nervous system to, to coordinate and to it's, it's almost, you know, it's like, I don't know, break dancing meets dynamic yoga meets who, I don't even know how to describe it, but uh, it has, I'm going to come up with one. It's Tai Chi for people who fell down. It's um, perfect. (laughs) I mean, you should be their marketing guy. (laughs) <laughs> well, I mean, it, it is, it's a whole lot of fun. That's for sure. The, um, God, you gave me one other thought about that. Uh, just fell out of my head. Wait, I want to take a total tangent for the fun of it. Cause you mentioned both at the beginning. Um, and again, re- just more recently, this idea of well-being coaching and breathing. Can you yes. say more about just what well-being coaching is, what that actually means and however breathing fits into that? Cause this, I, I know that when, um, you, when someone says something about teaching you to breathe, most people go, I don't know how to breathe. You go in, out, out, in. Either way, it doesn't really matter. Um, yeah. But I've actually been playing with some breathing things lately that are really changing my body. So I'm dying to hear you know, what you're talking about when you say well-being coaching and coaching breathing. For sure. Yeah. Let's, let's, let's take a turn. Uh, so, well, so well-being coaching or wellness consulting is – it's basically anytime somebody has – a goal and assuming that, you know, we can confirm that the goals aligned with their well-being and that it's, it's going to be good for them. Or if they're having a, a problem or an annoyance, that's not, um, you know, it's not like in need of a medical doctor or whatever. It's, uh, it's like the first line of defense for 
the stuff that, or let me put it a different way. If there's a spectrum of non kind of medical needs and on one end of the spectrum would be me. And on the other far end of the spectrum would be like a doctor of naturopathy or a doc or a functional medicine doctor. Right. So I'm in no way comparing myself to a doctor. I am not a doctor, but I am a very foundational level health coach. And so some things, the the issues are, you know, if they're like, I think I have a, a food sensitivity or whatever, I'll say, you know, I, I can give you some insight, but I don't test for food sensitivity. So you need to go to kind of a, a next level health coach or a doc, functional medicine doctor. But what it, it's basically the categories that I tend to address are movement, uh, nutrition, sleep, stress levels and breathing and breathing is one of those things that nobody really understands i shouldn't say nobody most people really don't understand because we've been told we've been told the wrong stuff we and i know uh i think you have patrick McEwen on here huge fan of his work yeah um it's it's the same stuff it's that taking a deep breath is you know, that came from when people started to realize that some anxious people would hold their breath and they would just forget to breathe. Their upper chest or yeah. Exactly. And so they would say, okay, let's let's respond to that by reminding people to breathe fully and breathe deeply through their belly or into the belly. And that might be an okay cue to start somebody who tends to breathe really shallow or hold their breath. But most of us are over breathing. Most of us are breathing too fast. We're breathing too deep and we have a low tolerance to carbon dioxide in our blood. And carbon dioxide is just, it's a byproduct of anything happening. It's just a byproduct of human metabolism. And so the more stuff we do, the more CO2 buildup, which is why we breathe heavier when we exercise Yes, we do need more oxygen, but also we need to get rid of excess CO2. And so most of us are, you know, it's like anything. If you do, if you eat more than you need, then you're going to gain weight uh, and you're not going to feel so great. You know, it's like if you breathe more than you need, you're going to have inefficient oxygen delivery to muscles. You're going to be overtired, over anxious. You're not going to feel great. So I, I coach people a lot. We do a lot of breath work that is sort of based on I'm I'm not certified through Patrick McEwen's organization, but I do I draw from a lot of his work because I think he's really probably the best the, the leading guy for it right now. And so we do various stuff that's basically built around down regulating the nervous system and getting out of that perpetual sympathetic uh drive and bringing back the parasympathetic nervous system, building tolerance to carbon dioxide and just getting your base back to relaxation. It, it's interesting. I've been um, playing the thing I've been doing. That's been very interesting is from someone else that I interviewed recently, Erin um, McGuire, who her thing about belly breathing is not actually about your belly. It's certainly not just expanding your belly, but getting like, um, I'm now doing this thing where when I'm breathing, my back is expanding instead of just my belly going out. And what's been so interesting is when I do this, so I've got a mild scoliotic curve because I got a other spinal problem. Anyway, bottom line is um, there's always been a spot in the middle of my back that I feel like if I could just crack that thing, my whole life would change. And when I breathe this way, I notice two, three things happening or no four. One, um, that spot in my back starts to release in my upper back. I'm breathing like down instead of expanding my belly. It's just kind of all around uh, my shoulders drop. My neck lengthens. Those are the top three. And the fourth one. Um, is that when I'm done exhaling, 
it's like five seconds till I start breathing again. So yeah. there's a whole other thing happening with oxygen and carbon dioxide, just from Absolutely. getting sort of those other parts of my body engaged in breathing. It's been really fascinating. Yeah. If you, I mean, if you engage the biomechanics correctly, then the biochemistry will benefit from it to a degree. And then, you know, you kind of play back and forth between which one of those you address. I'm glad you brought that up though. That 360 degree breath is so important. And, and the, the belly breath is another, the belly breath, the just the belly, like without incorporating the back is kind of mixed into, again, these overcorrections with that started as well-intentioned corrections. Yeah. So the other one, it's linked with a postural correction where, you know, people are really hunched. Pecs are, are stuck short. The whole, uh, upper back muscles are not engaged. Uh, scapular is stuck elevated. And so people will tell you as a general cue now, shoulder pull your shoulders down and back. But what happens is people do that too much. The scapula are overly retracted, overly depressed. The the trap, the upper traps are stuck long. And then the ribs are flared and tilted backwards like this, which is going to compress that tissue. It's going to stick that tissue short on the thoracolumbar junction right below the rib cage. And then you can't expand that area. And so all of our air just goes into the expansion at the front. So we have no less tone in the front and we have, we're over toned, we're tight and angry in the back and we can't access space with the breath. Right. And then if you learn to do that, like you just said, the reason it's happening in your upper back or one of the reasons is because you're allowing the back of the rib cage to lift and create space in that thoracolumbar junction. And so now the whole rib cage can lift and you get more of what, what some call fascial tensegrity, that, that tissue's ability to keep the bones in place where they're supposed to be. And then all of a sudden it's like, oh, actually my shoulders, my shoulders are supposed to elevate a little bit, but not because I'm hunching them. It's because my ribs are lifted and naturally bring my shoulders into a, a state of kind of floating, but in a firm way. So just that, I'm so glad you gave that example because just that example alone is how breath starting from the bottom and your breathing biomechanics just results in complete postural changes that you might not even been trying to address. Yeah, yeah. It's a fun one. Well, and I'm glad we went down that path because that also answers my question about what it means to be doing well-being or wellness coaching with people. And this is clearly a part of it. So that was a great example for people. So thank you for that. Glad that happened. Um, oh my gosh, looking at the time. Um, so what have we left out, if anything? <laughs> the overly broad, horrible question. Yeah. Uh, well, I'm afraid if we go down that road, I'm going to go for another hour. So yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I would I, I would just say that just to recap that it's setting wellness goals for yourself, whether they're fitness or nutrition, weight loss or whatever it is, or should be an exercise in self-development and kind of solo therapy or not solo. If you're working with a coach, right? It's about, it's about what am I really after? It's about peeling back those layers and ultimately you'll thank yourself in 20 years when you're doing stuff that you love and you feel great and you're living a lifestyle that feels really aligned with who you are and what you want out of your life. It's going to feel way better than if you're sitting with a back injury because you're like, you know, yeah, 15 years ago, I, I really wanted to be at uh, 5% body fat. And so I was doing you know, Olympic snatches for reps yeah. at a CrossFit gym and, you know, blew up my back. So. Well, 
I want to throw in the the, the mild um, uh, tweak to that, which is along the way, and uh, or maybe arguably at the very beginning, it might not feel that freeing because if you keep asking that, you know, why do I want this question? You might get to a, some thoughts about yourself that you don't like. You might get to some things about, you know, how you feel that you don't, there's something wrong with you, that you're not, that you don't live up to something. I mean, it, it becomes an opportunity to, like you said, though, investigate and do this sort of self or partnered therapeutic thing that will definitely pay off, I would argue. But, but if you, and, and again, if you come to one of those things that is how you're constantly comparing yourself to what you imagine people think of you, because you have no idea what they actually think, yeah. uh, you know, that may be somewhat upsetting. And I'm hoping that people also remember the other part of that's what everybody does. And so if you remember that it's, that it's a symptom of being human, not a problem that is unique to you, then maybe, you know, then that can let things loosen up as well. But that's going to be a little, that's it. it, And, and to think that that goes away or that you'll never have that. If you have that realization, I would argue is probably another one of those unrealistic goals, like losing 10 pounds. Mm. I mean, I have a joke that when I roll out of bed at some point, from the moment that I start to roll out of bed to 30 seconds later or whenever it is that I'm sitting on a toilet, um, I will check and see, you know, I'll pinch around my abdomen to see what my body fat feels like as if somehow overnight I dropped 5% body fat, which it's, oh, yeah. but it's gotten to the point where it's such a habit that I just find it hysterical. It's like, I don't really care that I do it. Yeah. Um, it doesn't cause me angst. It's just it's just kind of amusing that that's just one of the things that this thing does. Yeah, and you and you see it and you acknowledge it, and yeah, it, that doesn't necessarily mean you have to get rid of it. It just happens. I mean, it's the same. I see people at the gyms here uh, doing a workout and then weighing themselves, and I'm like, <laughs> oh. Look. Uh, look, since I've been somewhat self-revelatory, let's just cut to the chase. Um, after I take my dog for the walk for a walk and I come back and poop, that's when I weigh myself again because I want to know how much weight I lost by pooping. <laughs> there you go, which is you know technically related to nutrition and weight loss. If you want to, it, it is want to go that way. But it's utterly hysterical when I, I mean, I, I, it cracks me up in my own mind that I do it, but like, I'll get on the scale and I'll, it'll say whatever number and I go, yeah, but I haven't taken a dump yet. So it's really about a half a pound less than that. Maybe, <laughs> maybe you know, I haven't, uh, I have, I've been traveling, so it's been a while, maybe two. So, I mean, it's this whole thing that I find yeah. again, utterly, utterly hysterical. So, well, if you can laugh at yourself, then you're, you know, those who can laugh at themselves, I think are on a good track to being the ones who can eventually gracefully pull the rug out from under their themselves, from under their own feet and ask themselves those questions. So I, I, I'm uh, all for it. I love it. I can't wait to see uh, your book pulling, uh, elegantly pulling out the rug or whatever we said it. So yeah. um, this has been a total, total pleasure. And um, if people want to get in touch with you and find out more about what you're up to and how they could have fun with you, how would they do that? Yeah, for sure. Uh, so my website is under new construction. So the best way to reach me is uh, email. My my brand is Moves with Coombs. Coombs is my last name. Uh, so you can find me Moves with... Yeah, make sure you spell it for people. 
Yep. Uh, so you can get me moveswithcombs at gmail.com. Coombs is C-O-O-M-B-S. And I'm very active on Instagram as well. I really like interacting with people there. So it's moves with coombs. There's just uh, underscores under each of the word. Moves underscore with underscore coombs. Because we don't know when people are going to listen to this when your site's back up. Do you know what the URL is? Uh, that'll be northstarfitness.com. Awesome. I like that. That's a nice thing of giving you that direction without giving you. Yeah, there we go. Love it. Well, um, once again, total, total pleasure. We'll have to do more of this um, when the time is not quite as constrained because I I think, yeah, we could definitely do this for hours and hours and hours. And for everybody else, um, thank you for being part of this as well, whether you're listening or watching. Uh, And Oh, yeah, yeah. Just a reminder, um, other than checking out Griffin stuff, go to uh, www.jointhemovementmovement.com to find previous episodes, all the ways you can interact with what we're doing here. There's a bunch of stuff on there that I think you will enjoy. And if you have any questions or you have any recommendations, someone you think you should that I should talk to on the show, frankly, especially someone who might think that I have a case of cranial rectal reorientation syndrome, aka having my head up my butt, because um, that would be a really fun chat. I met a guy on YouTube who assured me that I was a complete moron. And despite the fact that I've been in the footwear business now for 13 plus years that I know nothing about footwear uh, or the industry, which I thought was entertaining. And um, I, in fact, I just said, so you, you think that I haven't learned anything in this time, which he didn't, he didn't like that answer. But anyway, I tried to entice him to get on the uh, podcast and he assured me that he has no interest in talking to me or anybody who listens to me, which I was, I thought was sad. I wanted to reply, what are you scared? But I didn't. So, um, but anyway, bottom Checks line, about. exactly. If you have anything you want to um, ask me, tell me, just drop me an email, move M O V E at join the movement movement.com. But more importantly, between now and then, and whatever the, our next episode is just go out and have some fun and live life feet first. <laughs>